and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, then. Looking back, if my family Christmas and New Year was anything to go by, we are still very much living with the continued effects of the pandemic. And I'm sure that's also the case when we look at our working world, too. There's been an awful lot of chat about what is happening, isn't happening, is working, isn't working. Frankly, it often contradicts each other. Sometimes it's hard to tell what's factual and what is based on nothing more than someone having a hunch. Well, today, I'm pretty hopeful we're going to put that straight. For the last two or three years, I've been a volunteer for Engage for Success, which is the UK's leading voice on employee engagement. And it's a movement made up entirely of volunteers who give up their time and expertise to help shine a light on best practice and look to inspire people and workplaces to thrive. Now, I love being involved in the movement, and I I really enjoy getting to meet and work with some of the best and brightest people in the field of employee engagement and workplace culture. And today, I'm hosting two fabulous people from Engage for Success who are going to help us, I hope, see the wood for the trees and really tell us what the effects of the last few years are having on the state of employee engagement in the UK. Now, in November of last year, Engage for Success shared the results of a national survey that looked to get some definitive answers on the state of UK engagement and hopefully set some form of benchmark for us to use going forwards. In a special event last year, the headlines of the research were shared. So what did we learn? Did engagement drop over the pandemic? What's happened since and why is that? And were there any clear reasons why some organisations performed so much better than others? And what are the implications for us all going forwards? I mean, so many questions. Well, with me today to try and clear some of the fog are Sarah Pass and James Court Smith. Sarah is a senior lecturer at the Nottingham Business School, part of Nottingham Trent University, and as well as performing many other roles in the movement, Sarah is an Engaged Success board member. James is a director at Stille, where he provides database consulting to executive teams, helping them have more constructive discussions and effective decision-making in complex business situations. And like Sarah, he's also a major contributor to Engaged for Success and a board member there too. Now, they've both got a real passion for this stuff and a knack for bringing the data to life. So I can't wait for them to share what they found out And so really, that's enough whittling from me. Sarah, James, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. 
It's really great to have you both here. I'm a proper geek for this stuff, so I have to work very hard today to contain myself to the boundaries of the show. There's only so much time we've got. There's only so many questions I guess I can legitimately fire at you, but I'm really interested to sort of get into it as soon as we can. But before that, just to give my listeners a a bit of a better understanding about who you are and what you do, could you just give us a sort of a potted history of, of, of who you are? what you're up to, and particularly what you're focused on currently. Perhaps you'd like to go first, Sarah. Yeah, thank you, Andy. Um, so, as you said, um, I work at uh, Nottingham Trent University um, as a senior lecturer, so I kind of spend my day job with uh, postgraduate and executive students, um, which is the part I enjoy because we talk about what's going on in their organisations um, and also enable them to see the different research projects that we do and, and help bring some of that theory to life. I like to have a, a foot in the academic camp and a foot in the practitioner camp. Try to to bridge the two between those two often divides. And you do so many things within Engage for Success. If I look at any of the groups or any of the discussions that are going on or any of the events that are being led, you seem to be there, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that, yeah, I'm hopefully it's still welcomes in all those. <laughs> I'm, I'm, hopefully that everybody's starting to get, and it's Sarah again. Um, yes, I, I just love research. Um, I'm very passionate about sort of that employee experience at work. Um, as you said already, you know, Engaged Success is a fantastic movement to be part of. I've been involved in research for over 20 years and I've never been involved with a group of people that are so not just warm and open, but encouraging and, and willing to share and, and I think that's really quite quite unique to the concept of engagement, how you can get a group of people from sometimes even competing organisations sharing around concepts and, and issues around engagement. Um, so it's a fantastic movement. And just to give it a plug, if anybody's thinking of volunteering, I highly recommend it. <laughs> we will put all the links to that in the show notes so people can kind of easily get access to, to Engage for Success. And I think those two things around belonging and involvement absolutely do ring true when you sort of like work with guys in Engage for Success or as EFS as, as we call it. And James, how about you? You tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, no, thanks, Andy. Um, Really, I'm a data scientist, which means that often engagement data, survey data, is just one more round of KPIs. It's one more sort of set of metrics. So, you know, anything from sales data, operational information, all of that gets uh, pulled together. But my background is in survey research, and I ran uh, the my first employee engagement survey was in 1998, would you believe? Wow. Well, I was the lead, lead researcher. Yeah, so go, going back quite a while. Um, and at the moment, um, in my day job, I'm focused on updating a nice predictive risk algorithm that we have with a large manufacturer. Um, it's been running for about five years. And with EFS, apart from this great conversation today, I'm also working on a survey that we have just completed with contingency workers. Um, so looking to see what their experience is um, in the UK as well. I suspect since 1998 to today, you've seen a fair amount of change with how engagement surveys work, are constructed, used, understood, all those good things. Not nearly enough change, if I'm <laughs> <honest>. <laughs> And, the, and there's enough. the nub of the issue right there. Hopefully, we'll try and, I don't know, move things on a bit with this conversation this morning. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. So the background to this survey then, guys, where did it come from? As part of Engage for Success, we have these thought and action groups, um, which are groups of people who come from a variety of backgrounds, a variety of different levels, 
who are interested in a particular area or subject around engagement. And I lead one uh, which focuses on the role of a line manager. Now, we've done quite a bit of research with a number of different organisations, both case study research and workshops and, and, and lots of different events, looking at the role of the line manager. And we were about to pull all that together into a report when the pandemic hit. So lots of things got put on put on hold. But also when we then started looking at the report and, and, and the data that we'd got and the experiences that we were going through, it was very much, well, you know, the line manager was very much fundamental uh, in people's day-to-day engagement during during the pandemic. So it just felt like before we sort of produced the report on that, it needed to have some context. It needed to have some kind of reference around the pandemic. So that was the very initial thoughts of it. And obviously, largely due to time, COVID restrictions, <laughs> um, a survey seemed like it could be the, the way to go about gathering that kind of information, especially because we were, we were keen to look at that massive variation uh, in different people's experiences. So when we started looking into it, it was very much, a, well, if we're going to send that survey, there's lots of other things we also could do with asking about, specifically the impact of, of the pandemic um, on, on employee engagement levels within the UK. You know, what are employee engagement levels in the UK anyway? I mean, it's we often get asked within the movement by volunteers and people coming to our events, you know, for for levels of engagement in Mm -hmm. the UK. And we we often have to go to sort of external bodies, some of them not even sort of based in in the UK that that take small samples from certain data sets to try and use those. But but there's no sort of figure as such. So there is lots of different areas. There's some of the other um, tags as well that were doing pieces of work that would benefit from a little bit of data. Um, so it kind of seemed like an opportunity to actually ask quite a lot of questions. Working at the university, they very kindly uh, funded the survey um, and then engaged for success, matched that funding to enable us to, to collect the data. It's interesting, isn't it? Because even the the small amount of survey work that I end up doing with the clients, that is a question around well, what's going on in the UK, what's the benchmark? You know, it's always an interesting question for people to have. And actually trying to find that information is nigh on impossible. <laughs> even, even working for Engage for Success, you know, trying to find up-to-date information is, is tough. And and James, maybe picking up on what Sarah just said, the range of questions that you you could ask, right? I mean, that there's a skill in getting down to the right type range of questions within any out survey as well. Was this particularly tough or difficult when we look at the survey you eventually put together here? I guess it was probably more difficult on this occasion, this first one. We're planning now to repeat these um, so that we get that uh, measure of engagement for the UK and can track and trend changes over time and, and mm. understand more in depth. Um, but for this first survey, because our goal was such broad coverage that we also wanted to understand how people are remembering their journey through the pandemic. Um, that meant that a lot of the survey was taken up with questions related to the pandemic and to what happened. Sure. Um, so what we don't have, for example, um, uh, would be you know, what are the key drivers of engagement? Is recognition more important than clear expectations or vice versa? That kind of thing. That certainly can be part of our um next steps or our approach for for future surveys but usually the organization sets the questions that they're going to ask their own people in their in their employee engagement survey and so there of course you make it relevant you make it specific to your context you ask questions about your values or your big initiatives 
And of course, here for a UK-wide survey, there is no set of specifics to go and, and measure around. But um, yeah, we have a good uh, broad coverage um, so that we now understand where engagement um, is at, where it sits um, in the UK, uh, and have got a decent sense of uh, of that journey we've all been through. Brilliant. And I mean, Sarah, you mentioned a particular focus on the role of the line manager and people listening to this podcast will have heard me refer to the four enablers many times before. And we know that line managers' ability to engage with their employees, colleagues is one of those four enablers. Other than that, specifically, were there other major things you were really trying to find out with the survey? What were the sort of like, I guess, did you have some hypotheses that you were working to? These things must have happened based on all the chatter that had been going on. And these are the things we really want to try and see if it's true. Yeah, so we were very keen to, and again, it's part of it was self-reflection because we weren't able to actually send out the survey during the pandemic. But equally, you know, as we, as we talk about in the event and in the report, you know, our reflections of those experiences impact our behaviours now. So yeah. it was it was still a valid question to ask, you know, how engaged did you feel before the pandemic? And how did you how engaged did you feel during the pandemic compared to how engaged do you feel now? Um, to see if, you know, the pandemic and that dr- dramatic impact we all had in terms of the ways of, that we worked, did that have an influence on our levels of engagement? So that was a kind of a key area. But then also, were there things that organisations did or, or didn't do mm. that actually impact on that journey as well? So, you know, we saw an, a national drop, uh, quite a significant national drop um, in engagement levels across many different areas and only a very partial recovery in terms of our engagement. So it was still quite low. Just to to, to quote the figures, because I'm, I'm in the process of writing the report, so it's in my head. Um, <laughs> you know, the average drop in um, organisational engagement was 11%. We've slightly rebounded by 3%. So, you know, you can see there's, there's already that sort of 8% gap. Um, and that's looking at an average of um, organizational engagement. Whereas when we then start looking at, and you mentioned the line manager, mm. you know, so for example, frequency of contact with the line manager. Um, when we look at the types of communication channels used by um, organizations, the employee involvement methods, um, health and well-being, especially online health and well-being initiatives and learning and development. Um, so we looked at a variety of different methods that organizations we, we know from previous research we're, we're doing that impacted engagement but also stuff we'd heard of and had conversations with around some of the initiatives from I don't know, things like virtual fitness right. um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we covered covered it all uh, to see did any of those things make a difference and, and and the clear story is that it does you know the data very strongly supports the fact that what organizations did in providing quality and, and quantity um of actions um had it had a big impact on on engagement levels fantastic and we're going to dig into some of those results in a minute before we do that james can i just ask you technically if we're looking people asking people to look back a quite a considerable amount of time in the pre-pandemic time during the, the, the pandemic itself and after does that pose a particular challenge um, for you in, in, uh, setting the questionnaire, analyzing the data, maybe allowing for how people have answered. Is that, is that a tough thing to do? Is that a normal thing to do? Just help me understand that a bit better. 
I do think it's fairly unusual. Um, and that's because the, the pushback is always, well, it's not a longitudinal study. So mm. we don't actually have a measure of how engaged people were before the pandemic. Yeah. We're asking them to think back now and, and remember it. So their experience will have um, impacted what they're remembering and they might remember slightly differently. But I'm really pleased that we've taken this approach and feel really confident that it's um, a, a useful lens to, to use because how I remember the pandemic is going to be how I talk about it to other people, whether it's colleagues or talking to friends in the pub. And how I remember it is going to be the thing that impacts my attitudes, my opinions, my behaviours. Anything I can't remember about the pandemic, you know, if you came back and told me, actually, you weren't really disengaged or that engaged. That, <laughs> that, well, if I don't know that, it's not it, it's not affecting my opinions. It's not affecting my behaviours. So what we have got is a measure of how people are remembering their experience of going through the pandemic. Um, and as uh, Sarah's shared, you know, a drop of 11 percentage points is quite a big drop going into the pandemic. And we've only recovered uh, about a third of that or um, Three percent. So we're we're still that that's people's remember uh, memory of the pandemic is they remember it being much better than it used to be. Um, and then once we get into what are the things that made a difference, actually, where good um, employers provided lots of um, manager contact, lots of uh, training and in, interaction um, methods, communications, online well-being offerings, mm. actually their drop in engagement might only have been 1% or 2% instead of 11 at the start. So that in itself is huge. A 10, 11 point gap between best and worst is, is, is huge. Before we finally get into the, into the detail of what we found, um, was, was there any filter in terms of position, job, job role with it within that sample? Did we look at, I guess, leaders, managers, supervisors, and down to employees, or was it more of a sort of blanket approach? We included anyone who was working. So when I talked about filtering out, yeah. very simply, if someone um, was retired, for example, right throughout the pandemic, then they couldn't tell us anything about their work experience through the pandemic, so we filtered them out. But otherwise, no, any, any, any type of employment. And we are able to see whether someone was a manager or not a manager um, within the survey. Um, and so we can track the impact during the, the pandemic and how uh, engagement dropped going into the pandemic and has partially recovered. Um, actually, for both groups, both managers and frontline staff in very similar ways, which is quite, uh, quite interesting to see. Well, let's get into the interesting stuff then. So I've made a few notes based on what I took out of the event, and you can see whether I've interpreted things correctly or fill in the gaps and colour it all in nicely for me. And one of the things that I think stood out, and particularly, Sarah, around the line manager, I think you guys talked about attitude and access. My interpretation of that was the attitude to engaging with employees, how authentic, genuine, deep that went, and the access people had to their managers <laughs> via Zoom, Teams, whatever it was. It, it, can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that sort of played out through the through the survey? Yeah, so as James said, we, we were able to define whether somebody was a manager or, or frontline staff. We did ask them questions around, you know, the size of teams and stuff as well to see if that made any, any, any differences. And um, I mean, in terms of... Um, the difference between the manager and, and frontline staff, um, I think one of the, the, the sort of key things was that the, they both had that drop. 
they mm. both had that drop and, and you can see that that drop was almost parallel now right. you know the, the manager's engagement started higher uh, which James assures me is, is quite common in the engagement um, surveys and scores um, and, and they, they often are higher but that drop was was equal and that that rebound has been equal as well um, so their experiences whether manager or non-manager has been the same and then in terms of that interaction and again we can look at you know those that have non-management experience and the impact that their direct line manager had but also the line you know the manager's line manager <laughs> as well um and, and certainly frequency um of contact um mm. played played a big part being able to have that that weekly you know several times a week contact and there was a slight improvement if that was face to face as opposed to virtual but it was more about just having that contact now we're not able because of the survey to actually uh, determine, you know, the, the quality of that contact um, right. <laughs> or whether there was a direct connection between the specific line manager and the employee because we're, you know, we asked a sample population of the UK um, and there's no way to actually match the line manager to, to the to the respondents. But yeah, there was a, that, you know, we we know from the, the four enablers, we know from research around um, the role of line managers that, you know, you might have frequency, but if the the, the contact isn't of, of quality, if it's felt like it's some kind of tick box exercise, yeah, then obviously that can have a have a negative effect. But generally, from the, the the data, it did show that those having that more frequent contact, more interaction, had a positive impact on their engagement not only with their manager, but their engagement with their with their colleagues, um, the engagement with their job, and the engagement with their organisation as well. And I guess James. We shouldn't be surprised by that result, right? That, that seems to be in line in keeping with a lot of the chatter that was going on a, a, around the time. Yes, I think so. And I mean, for me, it is both well-established, um, long-standing importance of the role of the manager. It's why it's one of the, the four enablers uh, engaging managers. I um, began my career working for Gallup. Their book in the 90s was all focused on the manager as well. Um, so it, I think that is well understood, and particularly during the pandemic, the manager, of course, was the uh, often the contact point between the organisation and employees. What's going on as plans changed day by day? Yeah, I mean, very much about how organisations were able to think on the fly because <laughs> this wasn't something we'd taken a test for before, or, or I don't think many businesses had a big plan for dealing with the pandemic. So I, I guess we can take solace and comfort to some extent from that that sort of result coming through that that we believe contact was important with engagement we believe the whilst we can't measure the quality or the authenticity of that contact we still believe that that's an important thing and it would say from the survey results that's been borne out so if we take solace from that what were some of the more interesting things that perhaps you hoped would come through and they did or came left field what what sort of things did we discover I suppose I would pick up on the one Sarah has mentioned. For me, genuinely, the biggest surprise was no difference in manager versus frontline changes in engagement during the pandemic. Um, so it, it is well known, I think, that managers always get higher engagement survey scores than frontline staff and executives um, in large organisations get even higher scores than that. And that's why often uh, survey suppliers have separate benchmarks for them there, um, that, that, that it's, it's um, so well established. But um, it's the fact that the drop was the same drop going into the pandemic and the recovery has been the same recovery afterwards. Was a surprise just because uh, managers uh, were 
I suppose, often seen and quite a bit of the media focused on them carrying a heavier burden right. than frontline staff because they were trying to deal with their own emotions as well as managing their team. But what our survey shows is that, that yes, they, they absolutely experienced the same um, ne- uh, negatives during the pandemic, um, but have recovered in, the, in a similar way as well. And that that is interesting in itself because there was an awful lot of talk around burnout and stress around having to try and balance that much more virtual contact with day, with the day job. I mean, I, I remember having lots of conversations with people about that. But it it's fascinating, I think, to sort of see it's a parallel. The the guys on the front line were reacting just in the same way, just maybe different stresses, different burdens than the the, the managers and leaders. Fantastic. Um, not in a good way, but in an interesting, in an interesting sense. I think one of the things that stood out for me was the particular focus, or it seemed to be the, the reaction to the provision of what I would call a comprehensive wellness support suite in that it seemed to suggest that if you were really committed, if you'd given a complete access to your employee base of a whole range of wellness tools be that mental health support physical support financial support a, a whole a whole range you seemed to protect that engagement level versus other organizations that maybe took a a piecemeal attitude towards it uh, or didn't provide anything at all i mean that it almost seemed to me from my take on the results, it didn't really matter if you'd done piecemeal or nothing. The effect was the same or more or less the same. Actually, those guys who really seemed to put effort in uh, and provide a genuine level of, of, of support fared much better. Have I interpreted that correctly, Sarah? Perhaps perhaps you'd like to share your thoughts on that. Yeah, definitely. And I think, like, I mean, you, you said earlier as well about many organisations not being prepared for the pandemic yeah. or, or aware of it. Yeah. Um, and um, I had some um, some executive MBA students who were doing research projects at the time, um, weren't intending to do it on the impact of, of the pandemic, but obviously it, it, it changed. Um, so they were looking at things like crisis management um, and and looking at how, how you manage and, and how lessons learned from the pandemic. And you know, from their reviews and searches, there was nothing to even compare it to, you know, any previous learning or understanding, there might have been the sort of financial um, uh, impacts and financial crash, there might be uh, some natural disasters. But in terms of this, the pandemic in the way that it was and the way that it affected so many people, um, and the way that we worked, there wasn't anything there. So for many organisations, it really was a case of Okay, so so how do we do? What how do we manage this? How do we deal with it? And those that actively tried to do stuff, they they try to support their staff. They try to put on different activities, and it wasn't necessarily that those activities were taken up, but just that they were on offer. Um, mm. The example being um, counselling. Um, yeah. So we asked about the availability of online counselling uh, for staff, and and many didn't actually take it up, but knowing that it was there had a positive impact on them there was I mean and there's a range of things you know like I mentioned earlier on virtual fitness because we heard stuff about virtual fitness and virtual downtime activities like the quizzes like the um, online cooking sessions and drinking Mm. sessions and book clubs and you know we looked at all those different things that and 
I think that the common thing across all those is that organizations were trying to do something. They were trying to support uh, support their staff. Now, some of those things, probably some of those well-being packages probably were already there um, in place anyway, like we say about, you know, things like counseling and, and other well-being initiatives that were then adapted to be online. But certainly quite a few of those, um, you know, I don't, I don't recall any having virtual fitness sessions <laughs> prior to the pandemic. It was not something anybody would ever consider. And, you know, virtual cookery sessions, but they were things that people were then trying because of it. And it was that collective package of activities, not one specific activity, but but several of them. So in terms of you mentioned the the, the well-being initiatives, um, you know, those that, that, that did none. If memory recalls, you're talking about a 13 percent drop. Mm, mm. Um, if you did four four or more different types of initiatives, a one percent drop. You know, that's a huge difference. Yeah. And James, I think, again, this is from my memory. I think when. We looked at that data in the event. The, the difference between those guys that did nothing and did maybe a couple of things didn't seem huge. It, it, they they seemed to get the same sort of level of large drop. Have I interpreted that correctly? Yes, I think so. I mean, that might be partly the way we were, we were showing it. It is sort of graduated, if you will. So the, the more, generally speaking, the more on offer, the better the impact, the smaller the drop um, of engagement, and the less on offer then the worse the situation. And really what um, the, the thing that st- sticks out for me is that we found half of employees in the UK, by which I mean half of our sample, half of our survey, um, did not experience a great situation in any of those elements. So whether it be online offerings, training and development, communications, interaction methods, um, it, none of those were in a great place. They only had one or two options for each of them. Um, that's half. The, half the country, in essence, um, and that's where we're seeing the 13 14% drop, whereas it's only one in eight uh, who had good interaction methods and comms and training and actually have only dropped one point, one percentage point since uh, since then. I guess I'm horribly biased in this area because, to me, this is all about intentionality and commitment. It's right in line with any sort of form of meaningful culture change in, in, in my in my book in that it the 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 quick fix the pass out the mindful app and everything's sorted you know that i think your research backs up that that's not the way forward you you need to be intentional you need to be committed it needs to feel authentic and it needs to be continuous uh in in your support right i mean would that be the same conclusion you guys would get to i think i agree with that from my side um and in many ways, it's about options being offered rather than a recipe. So uh, I suppose a little bit like working from first principles rather than working from uh, a best practice or a, a, um, a set um, series of steps. Yeah. That offering options seems to have been the important thing rather than which specific option. And I think that's because if there are lots of options there, everybody's going to be able to find one or two of them that really suit them. Yeah. Um, Sarah, can I? ask you as well because there seemed to be for me a bit of a thread that excited me uh in in you know in a in a good responsive way a lot of the time when we talk about engagement and culture there's a there's a deferring to hr as it's their thing to look after but it seemed to me that for once and for all thank the lord (laughs) 
we were saying this is not just an HR thing, right? This is an organizational commitment. It, again, have I interpreted that correctly? Can we can we take anything from what the surveys told us to to back that up? Yeah, definitely. And um, I mean, not just in terms of the survey, but certainly in terms of a lot of the other activities and work we've been we've been doing in the, in, in the different tags. And you know, one of the key questions we had in the line managers tag when we went into organization was, you know, who's responsible for employee engagement. Mm. Um, and then also who's accountable for employee engagement as well. We took those questions and, and put those in the survey because everything, when we asked everybody, nobody ever said HR. When you ask frontline staff, nobody ever said it was HR. Your senior managers might do, but otherwise yeah. HR was never even mentioned. And certainly, you know, that mainly talked about their, their line managers, uh, their leaders. Um, and themselves actually actively having to take a part in being engaged as well. Um, and certainly when we asked questions around accountability of engagement, it would be a bit of a fudged response. So so we included those into the survey. And again, it showed that the same sort of thing that, you know, a lot of people comment on or refer to, you know, being engaged. Um, and they, they talk about line managers. They talk about the organization. They don't talk about HR specifically in terms of the the. The line managers, we asked them about accountability, uh, specifically in the survey. You know, uh, did they do action plans? Um, you know, was it part of their appraisals? Was it was it something that was part of their role? So many of them said yes. They agreed it was something that was part of their role. But very few of them actually did action plans based upon engagement surveys or engagement results. Um, and when you asked them about um, was it part of their appraisal, it was just a totally mixed bag. Who's actually responsible for it? Yes, often it's the um, HR departments that send out the survey. Many often talk about communication um, and about it being an act of communication. So internal comms become part of it. But actually doing it, um, who's actually accountable for it, who's actually responsible for it, there still seems to be that massive gap. Right. Well, I just have this massively strong belief that it's it's about the collective of the organization in these things i think you know that even the work that i that i do on culture change there's such a marked difference between you know a small team trying to drive stuff versus an organization really committed to it and it being really woven into the fabric of everything that we do you know not forced into a annual pdp you know did you deliver this value but on the daily conversations that I had in all the communications that come out from from the center you know how we relate back to our vision how it contributes to the mission how we've played out and seen the values you know and and actually where we have taken some actions to i guess stop poor delivery around these things and show consequence for not delivering these things then to me that's that's where it all really comes from god i could talk about this sort of stuff forever but we we must move on the implications for us, I guess, from the findings of this report going forward. I mean, <laughs> I think we're still dealing with a lot of stuff. I mean, James, I think you've coined the phrase the hot mess of hybrid. I think we're still still living that right now when you listen to organizations. But what do you see as the implications for for the UK going forward based on what you've seen out of the engagement result? Um, well, I, I guess um, actually hybrid was one of the things that we looked at in the survey. Um, but for me, it's uh, really distinct from a proper hybrid working strategy or properly planned and executed remote working. Um, that's not what people experienced in the pandemic. You know, that was the hot mess. It's the fact that it was no one anticipated it. It was a hodgepodge mess, although, you know, different um, months for different um, individuals, 
companies responding very differently to it. Um, so working remotely, working from home during the pandemic was associated with um, a bigger drop in engagement during the pandemic than those who were working from a, a place of work. Mm. Um, but I just think it's so important not to take that as um, a, the result of uh, hybrid or working from home. It's the result of that version of it, the pandemic right. version of working from home. Um, and moving forward, I, I think there's something um, you were just talking about uh, taking ownership for mm. results and moving forward. Um, I think there is a huge gap there. The fact that we can even have this conversation about whether HR is responsible for engagement or not, to be honest, makes me want to bang my head against the wall. <laughs> I mean, I know we should be having the conversation because that's the state of the uh, of the discourse. Um, but HR are in no way responsible for engagement in my mind. Um, engagement is the day-to-day -day job of primarily managers and the teams that they are leading. Um, and so for me, I would see engagement as a toolkit that's provided to help managers and teams do what they're meant to be doing day in, day out throughout the year anyway, which is remain focused, motivated, engaged, and make sure that they've got career opportunities and development, that they have voice. All of those things should be happening anyway. The, the engagement survey is a chance to take stock um, and an important resource because it helps you focus and prioritize what should we be doing to improve things. But yes, I think that ownership piece um, it is so important. And part of the process usually for developing, uh, for working on engagement is working on the, the results of the survey. Teams, departments, looking at how, how they fared, where they are now, and agreeing some actions. That very process of talking about the results and agreeing collectively on which two or three things are we going to do in, this, in our department, in our team, that really builds ownership because everyone feels part of it. We, we've chosen those actions. So that's what we're trying to achieve. And you get much more um, progress uh, when you approach it in that way, certainly than you do if you try and dictate some actions from the top down. That doesn't work nearly as well. Hallelujah to that, James. Um, <laughs> praise be. Very good. I'm very happy with that and uh, totally subscribe to that. And, and Sarah, from your perspective, what would you add? What do you think the implications are for us going forward? Well, just to follow on uh, James's comment about that that initial drop, that hot mess. And well, if if you look at the the, the data in terms of satisfaction and, and an, an increase in engagement since, there is there is a, a slight improvement for an, and an increase for those that were able to work from home or in a hybrid way. So yes, it might have initially had a bit of a drop, but there is this 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 what appears to be a trend to those that um, were able to work in that particular way, having a better satisfaction. Uh, level with their organization, um, their engagement improving as we started to handle the hot mess and get some kind of control over it and, and find laptops and webcams and everything else to work <laughs> from. So, so yes, just to, just to uh, emphasize James's comments that, um, you know, that isn't indicative of working from home, meaning a, a disengaged at all, but also this, this, you know, um, this emphasis being that the, the impact that it's had. Um, and the impact that it's had on different groups as well. Um, so some of those groups, for example, we looked at furlough, uh, people that had been uh, furloughed and their drop in engagement was much more significant mm. and is still lower. Mm. Um, so, you know, thinking about, you know, as, as James said, you know, looking at your data, what's going on in your organization and in your teams 
Um, so, for example, if you do have staff that were on furloughed or that fell into particular groups or categories that seem to have had a, a bigger impact on it, on uh, in terms of their engagement because of a number of different factors, what can you do with them to help them? And another important point, um, which is um, something very passionate for James, is was around thinking about how you report your on your surveys results as well, and how you measure the different data to ensure that you include all voices in those kind of responses. Um, but significantly, I think for me is that we are still quite far behind in terms of the levels of engagement we were before the pandemic. Um, so there's quite a bit of work needed to be done, um, and definitely a call to action. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think there's, I see it when I walk into a corporate client today, and there is still a marked difference between those guys who've been furloughed and those guys who had been, I guess, intact all the way through. I, I would refer to that as some sort of furlough bruising. There's definitely, um, that happening. I think I'm with James on the, on the reporting piece and listening to everybody. I mean, there's a whole nother episode, James, to kind of get into why NPS is not the thing to use <laughs> going, going forward. And we just don't have time, unfortunately, for that today. But I, I, I agree. You want to listen to everybody, right? Um, because that's the only way you can really make meaningful change to more people in the organization, I think. Okay. We are at the point in the show I like to call sticky notes, which is where we're going to try and summarize. Okay. Which is always fun when I have two guests as to who's going to get to do what, but. I'm asking you to think about, I guess, the implications coming out of the survey and the top three bits of advice you could give to my listeners that they could fit onto three little sticky notes, okay? So if I was to ask you, Sarah James, when we think about the results of the survey, when we think about the implications for us going forward to try and continue to improve the engagement of our workforce, what would your three sticky notes be? Um, I think my first one would be to think of engagement as providing a toolkit for what's happening day in, day out. Back to that very uh, comment just a, just a few moments ago, just that it's not an add-on. It's not an additional program or an additional set of tasks that managers need to carry out. They're doing their work day to day anyway. Engagement should be providing them with additional resources and, and additional tools that help them in their existing endeavour. My second one would be um, to start looking at change. So engagement um, is is something that changes slowly over time um, and is based on relationships at work. The manager, how well they communicate and, and motivate and all of those things um, have uh, play a part. So change is important. And it is rare that I see any focus on change in um, engagement surveys. You might get a, this is up one or down one point, but that's about it. Most of the focus is what's my score? What's my current score? We need to move beyond what's my current score. And it's just not up to the job. Um, and then my last one would be um, uh, use measures that reflect the true response fairly of everybody. Um, thank you, Sarah, for, for um, <laughs> teeing me up on that one. It's better to use the mean score, just the average. It's not complicated. There's not a formula. Um, really simple. But that way, everyone's response counts equally and fairly the way they gave it. Um, and that way we have a clear review of responses. Love that, James. Thank you. And Sarah, you don't escape. Right? So, <laughs> I mean, I'm we're an getting... academic. I can't put things into three little post-it notes. <laughs> that's, that's at least three pages of feature articles. That. Um, so, okay, so if I was to give three tidbits, the role of the line manager uh, was fundamental and there's a clear indication around the training of the line manager to, to be able to do that job well. So really consider that kind of training, but also as a, 
And as, as we mentioned before, it's not just a one bit of training. Uh, you know, it's that continuous training. Um, but also for line managers to do that job, they need the capacity to be able to do it. It's not something that's just an extra task, an extra thing to engage with their their, their staff. They, they need the time and resources to do it. So, yes, yeah, so focus around the line manager. As James mentioned before as well, options, options of different things. And I think that's a clear thing coming out of the pandemic that people's experiences and backgrounds and interests um, and cir- personal circumstances varied massively. So providing different types of approaches um, so people had options uh, was really, really important. And then in terms of listening to to employees, so um, as James said, you know, making sure that you measure it and report it um, in the right kind of way. And just to give it a bit of a plug, um, you know, we do have uh, the Employee Engagement Index as part of the report as well. Um, so that was just looking at three questions that you could do. So organisations that don't have the capacity and the resources um, to implement a big engagement survey, it's three questions. And as the example James often would give, you know, you could do it in a team meeting with post-it notes. There you go, connecting to your post-it notes. <laughs> you get people to answer those three questions and to get that average um, of responses. And those that already do have those things in place, they can obviously look at the levels and things that we've got and, and their questions that they've got. But yeah, listening to the employees and 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 and, and hearing what they say. Fantastic. I mean, this is double bubble. This is for, we are celebrating our 60th episode today. So it's my silver jubilee, effectively, <laughs> right? Um, Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Very, very cool. And we have six sticky notes. I mean, that's unprecedented. We've grown by 100%. Um, <laughs> absolutely amazing. Just picking up on what you both said, where can people find these three questions? Is that a link to engagesuccess.org? Yes, it will be. So all that and all the information um, and detail around what we talked about um, will be in the report, which will um, will be out in days. So you can put a link to the Engage for Success website, um, which will link to that survey. There's also um, a link on the Engage for Success website for the recording of the event you mentioned earlier that happened in November, um, where we talked through the, the details of, of the survey and there was a bit of discussion and debate Um, as well as some slides as well. That will all go in the show notes, no question. Listen, thank you both so much for coming on the show today. I I can't tell you how appreciative I am. Uh, This has been a longer episode than normal, and it could have gone on for a lot longer, believe me. Uh, So I'm very, very grateful for your time. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Fantastic. Okay, that was Sarah Pass and James Court-Smith. Now, if you'd like to find out more about anything that we've talked about today or a bit more about them, then please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.